Hey, just before we get into the Word of God today, I want to tell you about an exciting announcement and an opportunity. We have officially closed on our first property, SDHQ. That is the headquarters for Social Dallas. We are so excited. However, the job is not done. We have an audacious goal that by our birthday, our two-year anniversary on April 16th, we would have raised $1 million towards the $3 million project to get this facility ready. This ministry has been a blessing to you, so into what God is doing right here at Social Dallas. I believe that the content that's gonna come out of this space is going to change the world. Let's get to the message. I don't know about you, Social Dallas, but I will never grow weary of telling Jesus just how much I love him. I don't know where he found you, but I know where he found me. And that was in the back of an 87 baby blue box Chevy. Some of y'all don't know what that is. I'm from West Kentucky. That's where he found me. I was living out of my car. I was a drug addict. I was shooting up heroin in one arm and methamphetamines in the other. I've been arrested more times than I can count. I don't even know how many times I've gone to jail. I've been in people doing drive-by shootings on my house, getting shot at in the front yard, shooting back at people, running from the law, overdosed three times. When I was 20 years old, put a pistol in my mouth and I said, I am done, I'm finished, I'm gonna finish my life now. And I can't tell you exactly why I was brought back to that little Pentecostal church in the middle of nowhere where I used to take naps underneath the pew and swat mosquitoes at Brush Arbor meetings. But I knew that 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 Jesus had a plan for my life, that he's never left me, he's never forsaken me, he is the friend that sticks closer than a brother, and when I was at my worst, he was at his best. When the world counted me out and said, can't nobody save him, Jesus counted me in by his righteousness and brought, him to, brought me to himself and he redeemed my life with his blood. So when I say thank you, Jesus, I'm not just giving a little baby praise. It's not just a little polite mannerism in church to try to keep myself together. I'm saying thank you, Jesus, for saving my life. Thank you, Jesus, for lifting me up from the pit. Thank you, Jesus, for putting my feet on solid ground. Thank you, Jesus that when everybody else said he ain't gonna make it, you said I got a plan for his life. I don't know if there's anybody else in the room that you know God has a plan for your life or not, but I can tell you right now, God's plan brought you to this room this morning. Every single one of us are here on purpose. You are not here by accident. I know what you're thinking. Somebody in the back is like, yeah, he's not talking about me. He's talking about the people who are passionate, who come to the front during worship. No, no, I'm talking about you too. You may have snuck in here, came 30 minutes late, thinking nobody's gonna notice me, but the Holy Spirit has your number. <clears throat> I believe there's some people in the room today that God has painted a bullseye over your heart. And he said, before this service gets out, I'm gonna aim my love right there at their heart. And they are gonna be overwhelmed, completely consumed, baptized and possessed again by the power of the Holy Spirit. So come on home. I just want to tell you, come on home. This is the place that you belong. This is the place that you're supposed to thrive. You're not just surviving. You're thriving in the presence of Jesus. That's where you're called to be. And this is who we are. 
You know, as a new creation, our natural habitat is glory. As a new creation, your natural habitat is glory. In Colossians, it says the Christ in me is the hope of glory. So when I deprive myself from glory, I have a way to explain why I'm not satisfied with my life. Because my natural habitat as a new creation is the very glory of God. This is where we are supposed to be stationed, church. Never leaving this place, not visiting this place every now and then on a Sunday, but living in this place of the glory of God, the unfiltered, unadulterated, raw presence of Jesus is what you've been saved for. I'm not talking about plastic religion where we come in and ask God to anoint our mask. I'm talking about real, mushy, gushy, ooey-gooey, ugly, crying type of love where you don't care who sees you. Somebody may be filming you and turning you into a meme, but you don't even care. You're like, I am going after God with everything in me and I don't care who knows it. Is there anybody else in the room that you're there this morning? You're like, yeah, yeah, I hear you preacher. I'm there this morning. Well, I'm there with you as well. And I'm so grateful for what the Holy Spirit is doing in the room. Anybody else? I'm so grateful. I believe that God sent me here, gave me a word, put me on assignment to be with you this morning, Social Dallas. And I believe that the word that we're gonna read and study together is a word in season for this church. I really believe it, it's a word in season for this church. And there is something God is doing here that is more than you ever thought possible. For some of you, you've experienced services where you've gone deep in the presence of God. But I heard the Holy Spirit tell me this morning, tell Social Dallas that what they thought was a well was really a thimble. Because I'm gonna take them deeper than they ever thought possible to go in my presence. I'm gonna take them further up and further in. They thought that they couldn't get any closer to me, but I've got a journey mapped out for them and they're gonna grow closer to me in these days unlike they ever thought possible. I believe God's doing something here. Do you believe that? Yeah. If you believe that, I want you to give three people a high five and tell them God's doing something here. God's doing something here. God's doing something here. You can be seated. My goodness, what a joy it is to be in the house of the Lord. Anybody else excited about being in the house of God? Well, this is really an honor for us, a real joy and a real privilege to be here with you. I love your church. Anybody else, you love your church? I love your church. I want you all to know we in Nashville are so inspired by what you're building. I really believe with everything in me that God has designed this church to touch this generation. And I know you guys love your pastors, but I would love to take a moment and just honor the Madus, Pastor Robert and Taylor. I honor you, man of God, woman of God. Thank you so much for saying yes to Jesus. Thank you so much for your surrender. Church, you don't know what it cost them in the secret place to surrender and say yes to what they're doing in this season. If you did, you'd get up on your feet and honor them because they have said yes to God in ways that we don't even know about. And I just want to say thank you, Pastor Robert. Thank you, Pastor Taylor. You guys are heroes of mine. Heroes. Heroes. I was talking to my pastor just a few months ago because I was asking him, 
who should we have for our conference this year? He said, you have to have Pastor Robert Madhu because he, out of all the young guns, and I think we're allowed to still say young guns because you're not 40 yet. But he said, out of all the young guns, you gotta get Pastor Robert because he is a man of prayer. He is a man of the word. He is a man of revelation. And man, he is a great preacher. And I've always known that, which is why when we FaceTime this week, I told him I thought he was the baby goat. You know, if Bishop T.D. Jakes is the goat, y'all's pastor is the baby goat. All right, like for real, for real. All the young preachers, we're copying his sermons, even though I'm 38, so we're close to the same age now, but it's true. I remember when I first started preaching, what I did was plagiarize T.D. Jakes' sermons. Because, you know, I didn't really, I, I didn't have a word, so, but I knew I was on fire. I was radical for Jesus, and I told my dad, Dad, I'm called to preach. And he said, all right, then in July of 2006, you're going to preach your first sermon on a Wednesday night. So that was almost... 18 years ago, you guys, I have been preaching full-time in vocational ministry for 18 years. And get this, that started six months after I was saved. Now, I, I, I wouldn't do that for anybody in my church. Give them a microphone six months later, but my dad did that for me. And so I just started preaching the paint off the walls. And before anybody let me preach, I just started preaching. Uh, do y'all have rest stops in Texas? So in Kentucky, we have all these rest stops, and I used to go and stand at the water fountain at rest stops, and I would preach to people when they came to get a drink of water. And I'd give them John chapter 4. I'd say, if you take a drink of that water, you're going to thirst again. <laughs> and people are like, I don't think I want a drink after all. And I said, well, you need a drink of the Lord. You know, I'm following them. But I started, I started preaching six months after I got saved, and my first message, I, I plagiarized a Bishop Jake's sermon. It was called, Is It a Good Dream or a God Dream? And I, man, I'm telling you, I, I transcribed, that bad, but, transcribed that bad boy, and I literally preached word for word Bishop's message. And I wrote in the margin of my notes, take your jacket off here. Because you know when he gets to going, he'll be like, take his jacket off. And I made sure I had a hanky. You know, because he sweats hard. And I made sure I had a hanky. And even in the margins, I said, get emotional right here. You know, this was the time to cry. Like, that's how you preach. But for long since, I have been inspired by preachers like Bishop Jakes. I've been inspired by preachers like your pastor, Pastor Robert Madu. So, sir, thank you so much for teaching a generation what it looks like to successfully steward a calling from God and minister from the Word. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for what you built here. My beautiful bride is with me today as well, Allison Phillips. If you don't mind, just stand up. And also, I don't know if you can get them to do it, but my son Isaiah is here as well. Isaiah, triumph. Wave at everybody, bro. Our eight-year-old. He just had a birthday this week. Everybody say, happy birthday, Isaiah. When I told him we were coming on a trip, he said, maybe they will sing to me. So we're just going to sing to him. Is that all right? Isaiah, stand up, bro. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. 
Happy birthday, dear Isaiah, my guy. Happy birthday to you. Daddy loves you, bro. I'm so happy you're with me today on your very, I think this is your first preaching trip. Is that true? What do you say, Pastor Robert? Yes, 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 yes. He don't care. He's wrapped up in his game now. He's like, all right, great. Y'all sung to me. I'm going to play my iPad. That's that PK life right there. And also, I want to say shout out to, uh, I'm going to go ahead and call you Pastor Chandler Moore. I'm going to go ahead and call you Reverend, bro. Don't trip. You know where God's called you. Don't run from the Lord. No, I, I got the privilege of going on tour with um, Maverick City on their first tour on a couple of stops in Florida. And uh, they told me what to do and I was all prepared and I had a message typed out and everything. And right before we went out, Chandler looked at me and said, hey, everything they told you to do, don't worry about it. We're gonna do something else. <laughs> all right, okay, I got you, bro. And he said, just look for me. When I call you, when the moment's right, just come up and pray. And so that's what I did. And I had the opportunity to minister alongside him in Mav City. And I just wanna say, you guys are surrounded with anointed world changers. <clears throat> Just surrounded, surrounded. How many of you guys know that God does not call anointed bench warmers? But each and every one of us have been called to get in the game for God. Do you believe that? Whenever Jesus called his first disciples, what did he say? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Right now, I don't know that they knew exactly what Jesus was talking about whenever he said, I'm gonna make you a fisher of men but they definitely understood that they were gonna put some work in because they knew what it meant to be fishermen. And they knew that on certain occasions, fishermen had to toil all night long just for one catch. Is that not the truth? So they knew that they would not be innocent bystanders simply watching Jesus put in all the work, do all the ministry. They understood that they would be active participants in God's plan to redeem all of humanity. God doesn't anoint bench warmers. He anoints world changers. And whenever he says, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men, what he means is a world changer. What he means is a missionary and what he means is an evangelist. Y'all like, I don't think I got the personality type to be an evangelist. I'm a nine on the Enneagram. Well, excuse me, I did not know that Jesus consulted with your personality before he called you to preach the gospel. In my Bible, it says he just gives me a new personality, which is a new creation. And the new creation that you are loves to preach the gospel. Jesus said, if you'll follow me, I'll turn you into a fisherman. So if you're not fishing, it begs the question, are you really following? Because Jesus guaranteed that he would take personal responsibility to transform you into the person he's called you to become, which is somebody who's on mission with him. 
So it's very important that we do what we did this morning, church, and we are intimate with Jesus. We are following Jesus. We are so close to Jesus that he can take hold of us and put his hands on us and transform us into the person that he's called us to become because that is a world changer. This is not simply for those on stage to get up and show off their talents and their great gifts. It is for all of us to jump in both feet, dive into the calling of God that's on your life because it's great, it's significant, Significant, and God has put an oil on your life and he has called you to do great things with him. If you believe it, say, I believe it. Believe it. Amen. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna turn in our Bible to 1 Samuel. And I wanna talk to you guys this morning about desperation. Are you cool to hear a word on desperation? Are you sure? Desperation is not pretty. Desperation will have all the makeup gone. Desperation can get ugly, but I don't know if you've noticed or not, but our world is in a state of desperation. How many of you guys saw the shooting that took place this past week in the news? That was, that was Isaiah's previous school. So he, he, was, he was at school there until, and, until just a year and a half ago. We started our own private Christian school out of our church, and until that time, that was his school. So we sat with him at dinner last night over pasta and shared with him for the first time here in Dallas about what happened. And I don't wish that on any father, to, you know, to sit and to talk and to tell your boy, hey, this is what happened at your school. This is what happened with some of your friends. This is what happened with some of your teachers. And these were family friends of ours. And so we know what it's like this week to be in desperation. This message is coming to you in real time from a posture of desperation. I had planned a message. It was a good Palm Sunday sermon. And I FaceTime with Pastor Robert and I said, I got the word. It's a good word. And then God said, I don't need you to preach a good word. I need you to preach a real word. So I'm gonna give you a disclaimer. This is a rated R message for real. It's for real people who serve a real God, who have real problems, and who are really desperate for him to show up. Are you in 1 Samuel? All right, I'm going to read it fast. I'm going to read it fast because we don't have a lot of time. And I'm, I'm going to be patient, but I'm going to read it fast. So what I want you to do is look at verse 2. We see here a gentleman named Elkanah had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, the name of the other Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man, he used to go up year by year from his city to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. Verse four, and on the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give his portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. Notice Elkanah being a good man, or at least attempting to be, wanted to give portions to his brides and their children, although Hannah had none, for the purpose of worship because that's why we, they went up to Shiloh is because they were coming to church, coming to a conference where they were going to worship the Lord. And uh, verse 5 says, but to Hannah, he gave a double portion. Everybody say a double portion. Ain't that good news? How many of you guys like a double portion? Man, church people will shout all Sunday morning long about a double portion, won't we? A double portion. Uh, but to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Notice it was the Lord that, is, that had closed her womb. 
And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. Second time the Bible tells us why she doesn't have any kiddos, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, that Peninnah used to provoke her, and therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. Everybody say desperation. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? Why is your heart so sad? Am I not more to you than 10 sons? And really, this is rhetorical, church, because it's not about 10. It could be 100. He's like, am I not more to you than 100 sons? He's trying his best to cheer her up. And after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. And now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And she was deeply distressed. Everybody say desperation. And she prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give to him, to the Lord, all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. And as she continued praying before the Lord, verse 13, Hannah was speaking in her heart and only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, the pastor, Eli, took her to be a drunken woman. Everybody say desperation. desperation. Every now and then, desperation looks a little different. And Eli said to her, how long are you going to go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. Everybody say desperation. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. This is what desperation looks like. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. And then Eli said, well, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, well, let your servant find favor in your eyes. And the woman went her way and she ate and her face was no longer sad. Verse 19, they go back home and verse 20 says, in due time, Hannah conceived and she bore a son and she called his name Samuel for she said that I have asked him from the Lord. We see there that God responds to Hannah's desperation. I don't know if you know this or not, church, but God finds desperate hearts irresistible to himself. He cannot help but to associate with the lowly. The last group of people that you think Jesus should hang out with is the exact group of people that Jesus can be found around all the time. Think about how often the religious people and the political people, they ostracized Jesus because he was somewhere hanging out with a sinner. The people you think he should not hang out with are the exact people that he loves to be surrounded by, which is why the title of my message this morning is simply this, an impartation of desperation, an impartation of desperation. I don't know if you know it or not, but you need an impartation of desperation. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you're doing in this place this morning. We ask Jesus that you would personally lay hands on each and every one of us today and release an impartation of desperation for God. We want to want you, God, unlike we've ever wanted you in our lives. I don't know if you're willing to pray that scary prayer with me this morning, Social Dallas, but I pray in Jesus' name that I would be more on fire for Jesus in 2023 than I was in 2006. In Jesus' name, and the church said, Amen. Now, I don't know what that looks like for you, but I do know what it looks like for me. 
and that's going to cause some people to become uncomfortable. Isn't, isn't desperation one of those things that really is an inconvenience? If you think about desperation, ain't nobody got time for that. Truly, right? Desperation, it ruins the meeting. Desperation sticks out like a sore thumb. People get uncomfortable around desperate worshipers. I know because I've always tried to be one. Whenever I first got saved, it was so easy because I remember being in church and they were trying to transition the meeting like this morning and they were saying, people, go back to your seat. Go back to your seat. And here I was with my hands lifted, tears streaming down my cheeks, crying out to God, I need more of you, God. I need more of you. Anybody ever been there before? Ruining the service. Do you know how many times ushers came over and tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey man, you gotta go back to your seat. And I'm remembering the scripture of the woman that poured her oil out at the feet of Jesus. Whenever Jesus said, excuse her behavior, she who has been forgiven much, loves much. Excuse his behavior. He who has been forgiven much, loves much. If you want an understanding of why he's on his face when everybody else is sitting comfortably in their seat, it's because they have remembered that they are desperate and they know where God has brought them from and they have not strayed away from the place of brokenness. I don't know about you, but I want to walk in breakthrough. Anybody else? I'm trying to walk in the sauce. I want breakthrough. Anybody else? I, I, I love to hear messages about a breaker anointing. I'm like, yes, give me a breaker anointing. You know what's interesting? Everybody wants to carry breakthrough, but nobody wants to be broken. And to the extent that you are willing to be broken is to the extent that you will have breakthrough. To the extent that you are willing to be broken for people is to the extent that you will have breakthrough with people. If you are asking God to give you Dallas, you must first present your heart to God and ask him to break your heart for Dallas. Because that's what's needed. With the brokenness for the people you're called to serve comes a grace to have impact with them when you serve them. We've got to come with love. We can't just come with arrogance. How many of you guys know we're not called to be right, we're called to be righteous. It's not about coming through with an argument, it's about coming through with compassion and saying, I am desperate for God and I want you to be desperate for God and I am desperate for your soul to encounter God because I know where I was before he got a hold of my life and I know that you need him like this too. Would you agree? So here's what I'm asking the Lord to do in me. Break me again. That's a scary prayer. Break me again. Do you remember where you were when you, I'm talking like completely just undone for God. Remember how inconvenient it was to be around you? Like people couldn't even whisper the name of Jesus without you boohooing in the coffee shop. You're like, oh, I just love Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that's where I was too. And I want to get back to that place. I never want to leave first love. Anybody else in here? I never want to leave first love. I, I just recently, <clears throat> just recently I was on Instagram and I was uh, thumbing through, you know, just my feed and I saw this couple and they were a married couple and I know them and they're, they're kind of well-known people and they were dancing in their living room to a romantic song and I was like, oh, look at that. That's nice. They ain't got no kids. 
Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's like you, you, you're like, they ain't got no kids, and it's obvious. <laughs> They're up here dancing in their living room, got a vinyl on. Oh, how romantic. And then I'm thinking in my heart, kind of judgmentally, wait till you grow up. Wait till you have some kids. And the Holy Spirit taps me on the shoulder and it's like, hey, uh, Judgy Jerry. That right there, dancing, that's a symbol of first love. And one of the things that you stopped doing whenever you became a professional pastor is you stopped dancing. But one of the things that I love is for people to dance before me in my presence. Take King David, for example, who danced for miles in front of the Ark of the Covenant as he brought the presence of the Lord back into the city of God. First love, desperation, causing people to become uncomfortable. That is what I am after, and it may sound a little strange. I don't know how that sounds to you this morning, social. I know you don't know me, but I'm weird. I mean that. Like, I cut my teeth in Mozambique, Africa. That's where I kind of came up in ministry. And my spiritual mom, Heidi Baker, taught me to be like this. And I don't know if you know who Heidi Baker is or not. She is who ordained me. And so that's, you know, that's, that's my spiritual mama. And, and she taught me to go after God with the same degree of passion, whether I was in the dirt or I was in the church or whether I was visiting people in prison or whether I was somewhere uh, having dinner with a politician. Like, be broken for God. Never allow God to put you back together again. Listen, when I first went to Africa, I was a youth pastor. I, I, got, I got three points for you, so just hang tight. I'm gonna get to them. You good? We're, we're just getting to know each other. The 9 a.m. was not like this. But since you guys changed the flow, I changed my flow too. So the 9 a.m. was not like this. All right, we're just changing the flow. Holy Ghost, do whatever you want to do. Amen? So when I first went to Africa, I was a youth pastor. And I was so excited to go to ministry school in Africa because I thought, I thought to myself, it ain't going to take long. They're going to recognize my great anointing. Praise God. And they're going to know I plagiarized T.D. Jake's sermons, praise God. And they're going to know I preached the paint off the walls, praise God. And they're going to let me preach because I am going to be recognized as the standout student. And I remember I went over and I had this cross on my neck that my mother gave me. And it was known as a prophet's cross. And every day that went by that nobody asked me to preach and nobody acknowledged my great anointing was another day that I got more desperate and more desperate and more desperate and more desperate because I was, I didn't know it at the time, but everything that I had built my identity on that was not Jesus, he was slowly dismantling. And I know when, those, when you go through those seasons, they're never comfortable, but they are always necessary. It's not always the word that you want, but it is the word that you need. And I remember I'm over there and like, I'm like, who am I now, God? I thought I was a great man of God. I thought I was a preacher. I thought I was a prophet. I thought I was anointed. And one day God spoke to me and he said, you're nobody except for who I tell you you are. Now go back and take that cross off of your neck because you, 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 enough placating. You're pretending. So I went back, you know, I put it in my bunk and I, I set it down and I came back and, and every day I would, I would lay down on my face in a puddle of my own snot. How many of you been there before? You know what I've noticed is that every moment in my life that was a significant shift in the spirit was always preceded by a puddle of snot. There's something that happens in that desperate moment, amen? 
and people were like, oh, look at him. The Holy Spirit's touching him. But I was really just sad and I was ready to go home. I was like, I don't know who I am anymore. And they did, they did ask me one time, they were like, why don't you do a Bible study in the, men's, in, the, in the men's dorms? I said, oh, okay, I'll do it. And then one of Heidi's Mozambican children, he popped in and disrupted the Bible study, took over and started praying and I never got to teach. And I thought, man, I'm not getting to do anything. I'm not getting to operate in, in my skill set, God. You know, I'm not getting to perform so that I can prove to everybody else that I'm spiritual. You, you know what we do at church, right? You know, or like how we post on Facebook. Uh-oh. Listen, I'm not interested in what you say in your feed. I'm interested in what you say in the secret place. So, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm saying, God, you got to get me out of here. So they said, since you volunteered to lead the men's dorm in a Bible study, we're going to have you in a staff meeting. And so I went to the staff meeting and I sat down and Mama Heidi was in there. Y'all know who she is, by the way? She's like a modern day Mother Teresa. And so she's like going around the room and she speaks kind of like this and oh yeah. And then every now and then she'll be like, whoa. It's just like when the Holy Spirit touches her. Uh, and so she's going around the room and, and she's, as she's coming around, I'm thinking she's gonna ask me what my story is and I think I'm gonna lie. And I'm gonna tell her, oh, Mama Heidi, I'm having a wonderful time. I love it over here in Africa. It's so beautiful. All the kids are so nice and I enjoy the rice and beans so much. And every time I preach, something happens and there's so many testimonies, yay, whoa. You know, just throwing something like that in. And then when she gets to me, she looks at me and she says, what's your story? And I couldn't lie. And I said, well, I got to be honest. And I looked at my watch and I said, I got 72 days left here and I can't wait until God gets me out of this place because I'm not having fun. I don't know who I am anymore. I am a youth pastor back home, bless God. And I hope and I pray that God puts me back together again before I get on that airplane because I've got responsibilities. And the whole room just goes very quiet because, you know, you're waiting on the rebuke. And she never breaks gaze with me. She just looks at me, just staring at me the whole time. And so I was afraid to look away. So I just kept staring at her. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what is she going to say? And then all of a sudden I watch as this tear begins to trickle down her cheek. And then she, nudge, she just kind of nudges the children to the side and she bends over and gets on her knees and she crawls on her hands and knees across the whole room. And then she grabs hold of the back of my head and she pulls me in and whispers in my ear, blessed are you son when you are poor in spirit for yours is the kingdom of heaven. She looks back with tears in her eyes and says, God's never gonna put you back together again. And that's when I recognized, I said, okay, I am called to this. I don't want to have it together. I don't need to look like a professional minister or a pastor. I want to be possessed with first love. And I don't care who I make uncomfortable as long as I bring glory to Jesus. Maybe I'm not doing what they want me to do, but as long as I'm doing what he wants me to do, then I know I'm in my purpose. I know I'm in my identity. I know I'm being who he's called me to be. And sometimes that's to make people uncomfortable. Listen, I'm a pastor now. A majority of the time, my job is to comfort the afflicted. But every now and then, I need to afflict the comfortable. And say, listen, you have not been saved just for you alone. 
You have been saved for a lost and dying world, a desperate generation that is groping in the night looking for a solution that they don't know what it is, but we know who it is, and his name is Jesus. So let me point out a couple of things in the scripture that I find very, very interesting. The first thing that you notice here in, in the midst of Hannah's desperation, which by the way, it's the desperation that produces the answer to her prayer. But the, the thing that you see about her desperation is you see all these things happening around her, which we need to take note of because they can actually become distractions to your desperation. So the first thing that you see here is that Elkanah gives her a double portion. Everybody say a double portion. Did you know that a double portion can actually be a distraction from desperation? Now, we love to shout about a double portion, but if you give some people double of what they need, you'll render them completely ineffective for the kingdom of God. I believe that as we pursue God and we ask God for blessing, I believe maybe, possibly, the devil may even pay you to be quiet. I don't think the devil even minds a little money in your pocket so long as you zip your lips and stop praising God in public. Hey, you know what? We're going to pad your pocket a little bit so you no longer need to pray because you're so hashtag blessed that you no longer need to depend upon the Holy Spirit. I'm fine all by myself. Thank you very much. Yeah, I see you. You're about to trip over the rock. But I believe that we have come to a place, even as a culture, where we're so wealthy that it costs us so little to be Christians. But I really believe, church, that a double portion can actually be a distraction from desperation. How many, how many of you guys, you know, don't nudge them, but how many of you know somebody, it's like, man, they got a little money in their pocket and they stop praying. They got, they got a promotion at work and they stop coming to church. Our culture is out here calling, uh, calling distractions promotions. And footholds favor. You know, the more favor that's on your life, it should always lead you into more fellowship with the Holy Spirit. So anything that comes into your life that distracts you from dependency upon God is actually not a blessing, but a distraction. Man, it's quiet. It's quiet. Be like, man, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Oh, yeah. Let's go. I'm doing the thing. Look at my gram, selfie, what up? Look who I'm hanging with, look what I'm doing. I'm so blessed. Yeah, but you stopped praying. So I couldn't actually call that spiritually blessed. You might be culturally blessed, but you're not spiritually blessed because spiritually blessed looks like increased dependency upon the Holy Spirit. It looks like increased intimacy with Jesus. It looks like more desperation upon Almighty Father. I need you. It doesn't matter how much you got, we, you still need more Jesus. It doesn't matter how blessed you are, you're still dependent upon him to breathe life into your lungs because you can't go another day unless he decides to lay hands on you. We are broken, leaky vessels. As full as you are today, we'll leak out tomorrow. Every single day, we need more Jesus. Now, the second thing I want to point out that is a distraction to your desperation is competition and comparison. Because if you look at what was happening with Hannah, she was constantly competing and comparing with Peninnah, which by the way, Peninnah, if you look it up in the Hebrew, it actually means a sharp corner. Anybody got any uh, sharp corners in your life? Like you bump into them at the Galleria and you're like, ouch, I don't like you, Peninnah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got some penitence in my life as well. I know. I get it. But competing and comparing with other people, the Bible calls it rivalry. And it's always irritating and it's always grievous. When you compete and compare with other people, all you're doing is comparing your worst to their best. And Paul says it's never wise. If you go a little further and you look at the word rivalry in the Hebrew, it actually means a tight and a narrow space. And that's exactly what happens to your vision when you start comparing. Your whole life becomes about beating that other person rather than bringing glory to God. And we think that by performing and, you know, like stomping our spiritual siblings into the dirt, that that somehow communicates to God that we're ready for increased blessing. When all it does is inform him that he needs to protect our brothers and sisters from us. So we don't need to compete and compare. Com competition and comparison is a distraction to desperation. As soon as you start competing, your whole life just goes like this. Just, just gets very narrow. And I know what it's like to be competitive. And I know what it's like to compare. I grew up an athlete, all right? I know I'm short and I know I'm very small. And I know I'm in the home of Luka Doncic. But I'm a Steph Curry fan, all right? Because I'm a small shoot first point guard. And back in the day, I used to play for Nike. One of my teammates was Rajon Rondo. Yeah, so I was a baller. I was just trying to prove a point. That didn't really have anything to do with where I was going. I was just trying to prove a point because y'all got quiet. Like, this kid is lying. No, I'm not. But so, so I grew up competing. Everything was about, I'm going to beat this person. I'm going to beat that person. And so what happened when I got saved, even though I was on fire for Jesus, I brought that into my ministry. How many of you guys know that a passion for God and an ambition for ministry is two different things? But we got people acting like it's the same thing. No, just because you're ambitious to be a minister doesn't mean you have zeal for the Holy Ghost. That's a completely different thing. So I was going after God, planting a church, building, doing my thing. And then I noticed that the church across town was, everybody was leaving our church to go to their church. And I thought, I got to compete. They're a pen and a, they're a sharp corner. <laughs> You know, and I used to wake up at 4.30 in the morning. I was like, God, I'm going to pray harder than them. I'm going to fast more than them. Come on. Yeah, I know it's ugly. It's real ugly. Um, and I remember one night my wife went to bed and I was in bed and I was like writhing in physical pain because I was feeling like, like I was such a failure. I thought that somebody else's success was defining my identity. And I'm sure there's a lot of people in the room that you've been there before. And I was thinking like, oh, I, you know, I need to beat them. And the Holy Spirit whispered in my ear, said, you know the story of the prodigal son? I'm like, yes. Which brother do you think you are? I guess I'd be the older brother. Yeah. Stop comparing and competing and come back into desperation. Don't let this produce competition in your life. Let this produce desperation because I long to be around desperate people, not competitors, desperate people. Lovers. So the last thing that I want to, the last thing that I want to point out here is what Elkanah says, and I'm finished. Elkanah says, Hannah, eat something, drink something, calm down, chill out. It don't take all that. You're, you're, you're causing a scene. You're doing too much. Why are you acting like that? And I remember what this was like as a young minister. I remember pastors telling me to stop fasting. They're like, bro, you fast too much. You're already a skinny mini. You ain't going to make it. And I'm like, 
I don't care. I'm more hungry for God than I am for food. I want Jesus more than I want a protein shake. And I, 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 rem I remember there were times when I'd have, I mean, I mean this and I'm not, I'm not knocking anybody, but I remember there were times where other pastors would tell me like, bro, you are praying too much. Because, because I would set a timer. Um, I would set a timer for hours and I would say, I'm not leaving the prayer closet, Lord, till the timer goes off. I just want to waste the day on you. You know what I mean? And it's not really a waste, but it's like, I just I want to spend my oil on you. I wanna pour my oil out to you. I don't, I don't care what it looks like. It might look foolish to well-meaning people, which is the third point. This is the third thing that the enemy uses to distract us from our desperation, which is well-meaning people, telling us that we don't need to go that hard after God after all. Listen, don't compare and compete with your spiritual siblings saying, as long as I am as spiritual as they are, then I guess I'm, I'm a successful Christian. Don't look at them, look at Jesus. I wanna be as spiritual as he is. I wanna have the ministry that he has. And listen, we're never gonna have the ministry of Jesus unless we have the prayer life of Jesus. We're pursuing the wrong thing. We need to go after the communion that we had with the Father if we want the ministry that he had through the Spirit. And so all of these things that come into our life, whether it's a double portion, whether it's well-meaning people, or whether it's people that come into our lane and say, I'm gonna compete and compare with you. Listen, nobody has what's yours. Nobody has what's yours. That would be an impossibility. If they were to somehow take it from God, that would make them a thief and God's not gonna let anybody steal your blessing from him. Nobody has what's yours. And if any of those distractions try to get in your way or they have been in your way, we're gonna pray right now for them to be obliterated by the power of the blood of Jesus so that you can come back to a place of first love, complete desperation, and even depravity saying, God, I am nothing without you. I need you to show up. If you don't show up, God, I'm finished. How many of you have been there recently? Yeah, listen, I... I'm a pastor, which means I'm really caffeinated. Like, I mean, I have coffees constantly. And do you know how many times I'll go out with, with people from the church and grab a coffee and they'll say, church is just not fun anymore. I'm just not having any fun as a Christian. I'm just bored. You know what I say to that? You're not bored. You're just disobedient. If you want to know a lifestyle of adventure in the Holy Spirit, that lifestyle of adventure is going to be found on the other side of your surrender. If you want to know how to have fun as a Christian, it's to get desperate and it's to completely yield and it's to be completely filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and then go and do whatever God tells you to do. Every now and then that'll put you in a position where unless he shows up, you might die. But you cannot tell me that you're not having fun or the time of your life if you're towing the front line in the kingdom and people are threatening your life because of your obedience to Jesus. I've been there. And that's what I'm desperate for. Anybody else desperate in the room today? I'm desperate. I want more of God. Anybody else in the room, you want more of God today? Come on, let's stand up. We're gonna pray right now. We ask you right now in Jesus' name, I just ask you to lift your heads towards heaven and just begin to ask the Holy Spirit to make you more desperate for himself. Holy Spirit, we're asking you for a gift of desperation. We ask that you would give us a gift of desperation so that we could give you the gift of our desperation. There is nobody that can satisfy us like Jesus. There is nobody 
that can be a solution like Jesus is our solution. And right now, God, we turn our dependency and our desperation to you. And we say, God, we rely up on you entirely. I just want to pray over one group of people. Just one group. Just anybody in the room that you feel like you have just turned to yourself instead of turning to God, and you've just been trying to work out your own salvation in your own strength and keep up with God in your own strength, and you just feel like it's not working. Like, I'm trying. I'm up early. I'm doing the devos, but I just feel dry and weary, and I just... It just it doesn't feel like grace, and I just don't feel like I'm on fire. I'm going through the motions, but I don't actually feel anything anymore. If that's you, I want you to know that Jesus is in the room to resuscitate your spirit. It is not time for you to retire. It is time for you to refire. And I pray right now for the fire of the Holy Spirit to come upon your heart and that he would burn up everything in you that does not bring him glory and that the only thing that he would leave behind is your base identity in him and that anything that the enemy has tried to speak over you today, church, any word curses from the enemy, we break them off right now in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. We enforce the finished work of the cross over every uh, spirit of lethargy, over every apathetic attitude, and we pray and declare revival fire coming to you today in Jesus' mighty name. If you receive it, just say, I receive it. We love you, God. We love you. Just say it with me. Say, we're desperate for you. We're desperate for you. You hear that, Lord? You've got a house full of desperate people. And I know you love to be around desperate people. And so we ask you, God, that you would respond to our desperation and that you would show up in great and mysterious ways that we've yet to see. God, we ask that here in Jesus' name for Social Dallas and every family member that's represented. We love you and we're so grateful that you showed up to us today, God. We're so grateful for the touch that you've given us today, Lord. We're so grateful for transforming us this Sunday morning, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray and the church said amen. Come on, let's bless the Lord together. Let's lift up a praise to Jesus. We love you. We love you, we love you, we love you. We would like to thank you for being a part of our social global family. Please head to our website, socialdallas.online and see the many ways you can stay connected with us from around the world.